0: Everyone, good, to, good to be seen. Yes, appreciate you guys. Good seeing you guys as well. We've been praying for James and Winter that were sick this last week. Yeah, we're, and thank God, praise God, that He's uh, taking care of you guys up to this point. Amen. And uh, He will continue to do what He has designed to do. And that's to be God. And so I just got to let go and let him be God and let him take care of all the other things. All I, all I want to do right now for the rest of my life is to please God, is to please him. Amen? Amen. 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 I, I'm not saying that we want to appease God. The appeasement's already been taken care of. 1 John tells us that uh, Jesus Christ is the propitiation, the propitiation, if you remember, uh, biblical word means to appease the deity. In other words, to satisfy whatever the deity is requiring of your life or of the world or whatever the case may be. In God's case, God requires sin to be punished, and because I'm a sinner, then He required me to, pu- to, be, to He required to punish me for the sins that I've committed in steps in Jesus Christ because of God's great mercy and His grace for us, Jesus Christ took that shame and that sin and nailed it to the cross. And so now He's appeased God through the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ. Now my life is to please Him for what He's done. Amen? I mean, that, that has been my goal from the very beginning. Once I understood that I was a sinner, once I understood that I was condemned to hell, once I understood that, that, uh, that there was no way of me being able to pay that or appease God, and I understood that Jesus Christ did that for me, then I just stepped into that and says, OK, Lord, if that's the case, here I am. And now my goal is to do whatever it is that the Master has called me to do. And that's what we're going to talk about today because that's exactly what Paul is trying to share with the people in Thessalonica, to please God. Pleasing God is is not something that you run after and try to do all these various types of uh, religious rites and uh, these, these customs and traditions and, you know, do, did I do enough? Am I going to do enough? You know, pleasing God, it's, it's somewhat similar to if you had very... Uh, pleasing parents, parents that that loved you and encouraged you, and you you wanted to do well or do good for them. You want to do things for them because of the great, great uh, upbringing or whatever it is that they gave you and, and done for you. Unfortunately for a lot of people, they can't relate to that scenario because, in my case as well, uh, but you know not necessarily with my mom. My mom was a very loving person and, and so there were things that I tried to do to appease her. I, I would go down the neighborhood and I'd cut everybody's flowers from their bushes and I'd bring them to my mom and she'd say, Where'd you get those? Oh, they were just growing all over the place. Those are other people's flowers, you know. And uh well, yeah, but, but I, I wanted to do this for you. And she, of course, she was blessed, but you know, she scolded me for stealing flowers <laughs> for for her. And we, we do things like that. The grandchildren are always constantly just wanting to please us, you know, even though they're uh, terrible sometimes. And, uh, but, you know, they, they're very thankful. Pleasing God is just a part of who you are, should be a part of who you are. You want to, and this is one of the reasons you attend a worship service, because you want to worship Him. You want to learn about Him. You want to share your life with others that are doing the same thing, because you know that it pleases God. Your worship, your time of being here is a sweet aroma unto His nostrils, is what the Bible says. Uh, For others, it is the stench of death. But you, uh, as you worship God and you come together, it's a sweet aroma. It's a sacrifice offering. In chapter 2, Paul is talking about how it is that we should conduct ourselves and things that we should do and, and the reason why and, and how that happens and how, where it is that we get this, uh, this boldness that we have or this uh, concern or this confidence or this conviction or these commitments or this courage or the, and this constant accountability to God we, we are looking at. the portions of Scripture, and Paul is sharing with us, these are some of the things that he did as a leader, as a pastor. These are some of the things that we can do as leaders, as pastors, and, and as ministers of the gospel. You all are ministers of the gospel. And this is a requirement, in a sense, for all people, mainly for pastors and leaders. But this is something that all of us should fall right into. Because did you know that the greatest hindrance... What do you think the greatest hindrance to the gospel message is? Then I know you don't have to answer out that loud. It's kind of just think about that. The greatest hindrance to the gospel message being proclaimed is the church itself. We and I, I include myself. We live a life sometimes contrary to the disciplines of Scripture. And sometimes in such a way that people ask, oh, you're a Christian? <laughs> you? I was asked that this last weekend. Hey, guy had a Bikers for Christ here. Are you a Christian? I go, yeah. Uh, oh, OK. Maybe I should act a little bit better. Right. Um, are, you are a Christian. <laughs> and I go, why aren't you? Uh, anyways, and sometimes we are called because of our lifestyle. And, and so what Paul is saying here, he says, you know, I, I want you to know something, that there are things that you, as a minister uh, of the gospel message, which is, which is every one of us, not just the pastor. Remember, a minister is a servant. A minister is, uh, the word that was used is diakonos. Diakonos is a table waiter. A table waiter is one that takes care of things with at a restaurant or, you know, in a home uh, of sorts. But here in the church, each one of us are gifted to be waiters, in a sense, or ministers, and to be able to do that function and function that uh, and and do that well. Because in in Ephesians 4, uh, verse 11, Paul tells the people in Ephesus that he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so he's given these various gifts and abilities and, and these various, uh, we went through this uh, just last week uh, in, our, in our class, on our Fundamentals of the Faith, that uh, we have been given, that each one of us have been blessed and been given a gift to be able to use it for the edification or the building up of the body, which is here, the body. He is the head, and each one of us are members of that body. So Paul was constantly trying to encourage Timothy and the other disciples to preach the word, to be ready in season and out of season, and to reprove and rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. That was Paul's goal, was to help and to encourage others. Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. In other words, you are to shepherd, you are to care for, And talking about the leaders, you are to care for, shepherd. We talked about what a sheep is and what a shepherd does. Talked about that last week. Uh, as all we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned and fallen on our back and we can't get up and we need a shepherd. And God is uh, God is, and, and we are willing, and we're not. We're doing this uh, not under compulsion, but willingly, because we want to please God as God would have you, not for the shameful gain, but for eagerly declaring the gospel. And I want to throw that in there real quickly: not for shameful gain, but to eagerly please God, because Paul is dealing with the group of people that have accused him of sharing the gospel message in a very unethical and a shameful way. And I'll, I'll describe that here in just a little bit. So the very first thing that I w- I'd like to touch on is, number one, is that when you have this attitude or this understanding that my life is to be pleasing to God, what it does is, number one, pleasing God, what it does is it produces concern for others. Number one, when you're when you're living a lifestyle of pleasing God, it produces concern for others. Verse one, for you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. As a matter of fact, let me read this whole portion for you first and foremost, then we'll go into prayer. Uh, once again, verse one, for you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though... but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Father in heaven, help us to have the same attitude amongst ourselves, that we come not in any other intention, not in any other idea or thought that we want to get over, do whatever it is that we want to do, Lord, but we want to be genuinely concerned for the flock, for those that are in our midst, to one another. And I pray, Lord, that we can take this, call seriously and protect the unity of the church by doing so with one another and as leaders of this church as well. So I thank you for the leaders that are here, that are doing the ministry, that are working in the, in the ministry to be able to move this congregation, your body forward. So Lord, we ask that you lead us and you guide us in all things as we understand the reason and the purpose for pleasing a holy God. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen, amen. and Amen. Pleasing God, number one, produces concern for others. Paul was uh, Paul always was looking at the at other people. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. Vain is a word, uh, Greek word from kenos, which means empty or without purpose or without effect. Or uh, it, it it was an important. It was it, it was without importance, I should say, and, 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 and had some purpose in doing something. Because when Paul says, we didn't come that way, we came with full knowledge and understanding that we have a purpose. We want to cause an effect, a positive effect. If this is important. That We didn't come to you just be willy-nilly. We didn't come to you wishy-washy. We came to you because we knew that the gospel of God was needed in your presence. He didn't know them. He didn't know the people in Thessalonica. As a matter of fact, as you remember, he only spent the short amount of time with them. But the gospel of God is important for every living creature on this planet. Every person. Doesn't matter which race, which country, which nationality, uh, gender. Everyone needs the gospel of God. And church, you are the one to take it out there. Now, you may not ever, ever go to China or Afghanistan, Japan. You may never go to Baghdad or anywhere else in the world. You might not ever go to Mexico, to any of these other islands, to Africa, but you yourself can go into your own neighborhood. This gospel message is so important to the whole world. It should be important to you and to your family first and foremost. Remember last week what we talked about. God had already uh, he'd, he'd already preordained everything that was going to happen. He already told Isaiah, this is how it's going to take place. He's already shown Isaiah the end of the age. He's shown a lot of the uh, uh, the, the revelation, the apostolic, the, the, uh, the, the, those that are preaching the gospel. He's already showed them what's going to take place. And, and so we already know how it's all going to end. And our part is to be involved in that. And to do so in a willing way. And we ought to understand that, you know, wherever we go, we're not going there with these ulterior motives, with these pretenses. We're not going there to try to get over and trying to make things happen. We're going there because we know that this is our responsibility. And so when we have, uh, we're trying to please God, the first thing that happens as Paul is saying here, we, we have concern for others. Number two, pleasing God produces confidence in God's power. Pleasing God causes confidence in God's power. Paul goes on to say, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Paul had just come from Philippi. Paul was. And, and the apostles were were walking down the street, and then this young lady that had this ability, this demonic spirit within her to to tell the future and tell all kinds of things that were to take place, kept hounding them. These men are from God, these men are from the God most high these men and there was, she was just yelling, and, and Paul finally got fed up, and he turned around and he yelled not at the girl but at the spirit shut up, spirit, or he didn't actually shut up. He says, be quiet and come out of her. And at that moment, that spirit was gone, and she was like, whoa, what happened? And she's walking around, and her her owners or the people that would work her to gain money realized she lost the ability to tell the future, and they got mad at Paul. Instead of celebrating the fact that she was delivered now from this demon, you know, beloved, think about our culture today. Think about the things that are going on to our children, uh, the young people. And, and you know, how we're trying to convert these people because of their un- misunderstanding of who they are, what they are. And once we come to them and help them understand that God created you in the manner that you are. And, and we're trying and they call this conversion therapy. I become, you become the enemy. You become the target. And they do to you exactly what they did to Paul. They imprison them. They beat them. They threw them in prison. And, you know, and one of the things that happened with Paul because of what he did and how he, where he ended up at, he was there and you might have heard the story about the jailer that felt sorry for them and bound up their wounds and took them home. His whole household was saved. And, and so a prison ministry started. From this whole persecution, the things that take place because you stand up for the word of God and the persecution that might happen to you, beloved, it is for an intended purpose. It is not in vain because what happens is when you please God, you get this confidence in God's power because you start you are able now to do things and you start to see that I would never, ever would have been able to do that type of ministry in that, in that place, whether in jail, whether uh, at the workplace, because you know your own limitations. And many times we only want to do what we can actually do, our limitations. But God wants to show you and he, he wants you to have confidence in God's power. And you have that power. And it's just a matter of building up that power and understanding that power. And like I said earlier, he was already suffering uh, and, and gone through a lot of shame and, and what they did. And when they ordered the, uh, when they ordered the, uh, the, the guard to let them out, he says, okay, you guys can go. Go on, get out of here. He says, well, wait a minute. You know, Paul says, they beat us up for no reason, you know. I mean, let them come down here and let us out. Let them tell us why they imprisoned us. You know, and Paul was kind of obstinate about that. And, and, and so when we think about how the gospel message sometimes is proclaimed and in various places, a lot of the times that we're in those places is because of the things that took place to get us there. The things that have happened in our life. And the conviction that God's going to use that, this boldness that God gives you. The ability to be able to, to stand and see your, your human weakness and understand, you know what? I, 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 can, I can move forward and I can, I can continue on to grow in this. Uh, in, in 2 Corinthians, and I'd like for you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In 2 Corinthians which, like I said before, is right next to 1 Corinthians. But uh, 2 Corinthians 12 is just back a few pages. And let me give you the page number here, 970 in my Bible. But in 2 Corinthians 12, this is called Paul's vision and his thorn. And this is interesting because Paul is talking about this vision that he had or something that he experienced. And I want you to see the difference between what he experienced and what many people today say they experience in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians. He goes on to say in verse 1, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelation of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body. I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body. I do not know. But God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. Now, look at this. Compare this with Paul just went through. Yeah, I know a man. I know, you know, I want to keep boasting. But you know what? It's. I mean, it's really not going to do me any good because I shouldn't boast in myself. I should boast in God. But, but, you know, I know a man. And the man that he's talking about is 14 years prior to that. He was left for dead outside of a city where they stoned him. And apparently during that time that he's pointing to this man, which is Paul himself. I was going to say Saul, but Paul himself. This man was caught up into the third heaven. We have the first heaven, which is where the birds of the air fly. And the second heaven where the stars and the moons are. And the third heaven is where God is at. That's where Paul ended up at, in paradise. And he was there, and he's seen things that no one should be able to utter. And guess what? He didn't utter them. He didn't write a book. He didn't go on a speaking tour of all the things that he saw and things that God told him. He didn't go on the radio. Of course, they didn't have any. He didn't, he didn't go around telling people what he did. As a matter of fact, he didn't even identify himself. He just said, you know what? I know, I know something that happened and I can't tell you because if I tell you I have to kill you and I'm not going to share this with you because this is not something that I need they told me not to say anything and I'm not going to say anything now we have a lot of people in our culture today that claim to have seen God claim to have gone to heaven claim to have died and came back and and they got these messages and revelations and all kinds of ideas and you know and a lot of people buy into it and I don't know why because here Paul is telling us no I'm not even going to tell you as a matter of fact he says, "I want to share something with you because this happened to me. I feel kind of special." He says, "I feel, you know, somewhat, you know, this is this is pretty awesome." In, in verse six, though, um, verse five, on behalf of this man, I will boast. He says, "I will boast on behalf of this man." He says, "Because this is kind of special, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except for my weakness." So in other words, this is something very special that happened. I should be able to tell somebody about this, but you know what? And I'm going to boast about it, but I'm not going to boast about it. I'm not going to tell you what happened. I'm only going to tell you about my weakness. And he goes on to say, Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me one of the ulterior motives of people that claim to go up into heaven is they want people to pay attention to them. They want, they want to get the attention. He says, so that no one may think more of me. And this is what we think of people that apparently had a vision. We think more of them. They're very special. God chose them. God elected them. God gave them the ability to see him. And so therefore, we need to get close to him. Maybe we can get some of that, you know, that aura that, oh, you know, just touch him. And, and, and Paul says, I, I don't want that because it's not about me and a lot of these people that written books made movies tell stories go on these speaking circuits it's all about them they claim to say it's about god but you know this is what happened to me this is what i saw this is who i saw there this is the message he gave me and what was the message well god said to love everyone well duh that's what the bible says well, God said that he's coming back again. Yeah, we know that. Well, God said that he's mad at the world. Uh-huh. I mean, I could have told you that. <laughs> you know, and they come back with a very, you know, oh, I, I saw this. And I said, well, what did God say? Well, he said, to everybody be careful. Wow. Okay. My mama used to tell me that. My wife tells me that every time I take off on a ride. She says, be careful, honey. I tell her, don't tell me what to do. No. <laughs> Uh, So, no, but I'm really thankful that my wife is very concerned about me. So in verse seven, so to keep me from being conceited or becoming conceited because of my surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Now, here's what happened to Paul. Paul had this experience. And he had this wonderful experience. And he, he was, man, you know, I want to tell you about it, but I can't. I'm not going to tell you, but you know what? Here's what God gave me. He, he didn't bless me with cars and money and all these royalties of my books. And he, You know what he blessed me with? was with a thorn in my flesh. That's what he did. He gave me a thorn in my flesh. Now, a lot of people have gone around in circles. and They've tried to describe what, was it really a thorn? It, it was a euphemism to say, you know, there, there was something that, hurt him, that ailed him. Many people think, well, maybe because of what he's talking about, the experience that he's talking about, and how they stoned him outside of the city and left him for dead. You know, it could be that because when they stoned you, they just didn't throw these little pebbles at you. They threw rocks. They knocked you out unconscious. You would literally die. Some of these bones might have hit his back. They say that Paul had this crooked walk and he was bent over. He had this huge hook nose and, and he was bald. And this is how, you know, some of the first century historians describe him and, and he couldn't walk and he couldn't see well and so he had these ailments he was very you know not a very handsome looking man and but but he was very knowledgeable and some people think that maybe during that stoning he must have gotten some sort of you know uh, skipping his step and and hurt his whatever and he just couldn't function right and he prayed to god who well, I want to show you right now he says but this thorn was, and it was a messenger from satan And he identified it. This is a messenger from Satan. And so, you know, this this devil won't let me go and he's going to continue on. And then in verse verse eight, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Three times Paul pleaded. Three times Paul prayed. I'm sure he didn't say, oh, Father, take this thorn away from me. Number one. Oh, Father, please take this thorn away from me. Number two. Oh, Father, please, please, please take this thorn away from me. See, when God, when Paul pleaded and he prayed, I'm willing to say, and we don't know this, but I'm willing to say that Paul spent some considerable time on his knees praying about this ailment that he had, whatever thorn it was, whatever took place. He was praying that, God, please, I I want to do this ministry well. I want to be able to be healed from this condition that I have, this messenger of Satan. And, And more than likely, he might have fasted maybe three days, maybe 40 days. I don't know. But when it says that Paul pleaded, he literally pleaded God. And, you know, God's response, God's response is amazing. He didn't say, "Okay, Paul, you know what? You're you're trying to appease me. So I'm going to go ahead and, you know, heal you. You're trying to do, you're doing the work of the, of the ministry. You know, you're a good pastor. You're a good shepherd. You're a good leader. You're helping people. You're encouraging people. You're writing books. And you know what? I'm going to give you more life. I'm going to extend your health because, you know, if you name it, you can claim it. No. He didn't even say, you know, I want you to look. Remember Isaiah? We talked about Isaiah. By his stripes you are healed. All you have to do is say it. No. As a matter of fact, here's what, well, you've already read it, I'm sure. All, this is what he said. God said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. You see, when you please God, and you start to please God, not only do you have this concern for others, and you, not only do you have this confidence, you have this confidence in God's power. And especially, especially in your weakness, especially when you've got this ailment, or maybe it's just something. Another person, once somebody made another good argument about Saul or Paul on, on one of the things that might have you know, really deterred him because he was really tore up about the way that he prosecuted the Christians. Remember in the, right at the beginning when Saul was introduced, uh, Paul was introduced to Saul, he was introduced that as they stoned Stephen, he stood there guarding people's cloaks and he gave approval. Yeah, that's what he deserves. And some people think that, you know what, he must have been caught up so much and cut up so much and deeply at how he allowed those things to happen. And he himself had done them. And he had so much guilt and shame and he just, God, just take that away from me. I, 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 it keeps flashing back and just the blood splattering all over the place. And, you know, his, I, I, just can't, I just can't bear to think about that. There could have been a number of things that Paul Storm was that ailed him, that hurt him. He doesn't say, but you know what? It leaves it wide enough open for each one of us to be able to insert ourselves in whatever it is that you're going through. Because God is telling you this, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power, not your power, not what you can do. As a matter of fact, I'm glad you got that deficiency. That is so good that you got that deficiency because I'm more interested in your character than I am your comfort. I know it hurts and I know it's painful and I know that you're going through stuff in life, but it's not that that I am concerned about. I want you to understand that you have the power that I'm giving you to do the task that I've given you. And and Paul is understanding this, and maybe he didn't understand it at first, but you know, he says, You know, therefore I will boast more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see that? You know what? Thank God I've got this broken back. Thank God I've got this busted knee. Thank God I've got this, you name it, insert yourself in there. Thank God, thank you, Lord, because this is helping me to see your power in my life. Because I cannot do this on my own. We uh, are helping our children, grandchildren, learn how to read through homeschooling, and we bought them this book of Helen Keller. Don't know who you, I don't know if you guys know who Helen Keller is. Helen Keller was taught by a, uh, a teacher. They call her the miracle worker, which was Anne Sullivan. And so they're reading this book, and then we rented the movie. We bought the movie so they can see it. And it is a very good. It's an old movie. It's a very good movie on Helen Keller and on Ann Sullivan, the miracle worker. As a matter of fact, the movie is called The Miracle Worker. And it is amazing to see Helen Keller couldn't see, couldn't speak, and couldn't hear. She lost it at the age of two through some sickness. And she was frustrated, mad, and throwing things, and eating with her hands, and just, you know, because they let her. I mean, she's, at least she's feeding herself. They, they didn't realize that they were actually hurting her. And the more that they tried to help her, they just couldn't help her. They thought about putting her in an asylum or in a home of some sort. Until aunts, they, they hired Anne Sullivan, she came in, and she taught Helen Keller how to read and how to speak sign language, and and, and how to, uh, well, you know, just taught her how to live. She became a very good author, an author. She was valedictorian of her, of her college. She uh, she wrote books, and and everything changed because of her weakness. Now, the Bible, uh, the, the movie doesn't say or dictate to us that she was a Christian. All I'm saying is that, you know, sometimes our weaknesses can be used as strengths. Paul said the same exact thing here. The same exact thing here is that, you know, you God takes our weaknesses and he pulls them on the strength. And he also says to keep me from being conceited. In verse seven, to keep me from thinking that I'm doing this on my own, to keep me from being conceited. And some of us have big heads to think of, you know, uh, I'm not going to mention any names, but um Anyways, uh, and then so he goes on to say, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, pleasing God produces confidence in God's power. Number three. Pleasing God produces conviction to God's truth. Pleasing God produces conviction for God's truth. Paul goes on to say in verse 3 For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. The Apostle Paul knew. He could be confident in God's power because he was committed to God's truth. And not only in his preaching, but also in his living. Enemies of the truth always try to destroy the person that's preaching the gospel by bringing up these trumped-up charges, always trying to undermine their work and and trying to get people to not to trust them and talk bad about them and try to slam them. Paul says, I'm just preaching the gospel. This is why I continue to tell you, beloved you know, it, that's good to believe what you believe and think what you think, you know, but it, uh, to be honest with you, it's not a matter of what you think or what you believe. You know, it's a matter of what you know. But what does the Bible say? But what does the Bible say? When you go back to the Word of God, they can, they can, nobody can say anything about God's Word. All they can do is start to defame you and, de, you know, characterize you as a crackpot or, you know, one of those religious nuts or whatever. But God's Word is God's Word. And that's all Paul did is he just continually praised God for what he did. And and so what Paul says here is, you know, I'm not trying to be here in error, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity. And, And so it is believed that they were accusing Paul of using error or he was impure or any attempt to deceive. Earlier I said that the greatest challenge and the greatest hindrance to the gospel is the church itself. And unfortunately, the church, when I say church, All of them, you know, everything, uh, even from Catholics to, you you know, you think whatever, whatever sect you want to think of, from everybody that claims God or thinks about God, is lumped into one group, and we're all kind of the same. And unfortunately, for the last, you know, last century and part of this century, there's been a lot of scandals within the church, a lot of scandals in the the Catholic Church and the. Pentecost Church and the Assembly of God's Church are scandals in the Southern Baptist Churches, they're, sc- they're scandals, scandals, scandals all over the place. And we are all lumped into, yeah, well, you guys are all like this. You know, you guys are all, you, you name it, whichever one you want, you guys uh, stealing money, running off the secretary, you know, harassing and hurting children and people and taking, you know, all these things. And you're just, we're all lumped into that. And that's what they were doing to Paul. During Paul's day, there were these speakers that would, would take these circuits and walk around. And they were charlatans. They were magicians. They were people of, you know, of knowledge, of wisdom. And, and they used potions and all kinds of stuff to try to get an audience. And they would get an audience. They would collect funds from them. And they would say, okay, thank you, and move on to the next set. And they'd left, left people empty. You know, I said, well, what happened? You know, it was, well, they took all my money. That's what happened. You know, and so they'd go to the next city. And, and so there was this group of people. They put Paul inside. Yeah, that's just like all those other guys. That's who he is. You know he's he's trying to do these things out of his own um, his own well being. He's trying to build himself up. You know, and a lot of it, a lot of what he's talking about is that we, we don't even understand what he's saying. And Paul was confident that he knew what he was saying. He was he wasn't from impurity. As a matter of fact, some of these people what they did is they went around. Claiming that you know that they had this secret knowledge and they were able to pass it on, and the only people they can pass it on to were female uh, servants or apostles, or not apostles but disciples. And so they would get all these female disciples, and they would have intercourse with them, and they would intercourse with them to pass on their secret knowledge. And what they did is once they were passed on the secret knowledge, now they contain the secret knowledge. And if people wanted to come and to be a part of this, then they would hire. They, w- they would hire these. Temple prostitutes is what they were. And they, men would come and they would have s- sexual relations with these women so they can receive this special knowledge. And they built temples about for this. Aphrodite was one of them. Diana was another. Uh, they, they had all these various types of temples that they had for this type of secret knowledge you can get by having this sexual intercourse with a temple prostitute. And these men were very devious. and lascivious, uh, uh, I forget what that word is. But they were trying to get... In into people's homes. Weak-willed women is what Timothy calls them. These men, they're like, they're, they're like clouds with no rain. They're, they're just a puff of smoke and they just come and they don't deliver. All they do is they take and they take and they take. This is why when you are pleasing God, you are, it produces a conviction to God's truth, not philosophical truth, not scientific truth. Science. People claim science and want to hold on to science and believe in science and they want to put all their eggs in that basket of science. I want you to know something, beloved. Science, it, it, it's beneficial. It helps. And, you know, science is good because it helps us to understand how God works. It helps us understand on how, when when the psalmist uh, talked about in the, in the Old Testament that the clouds come from the, the mountains and they go out to the ocean and as they go out to the ocean, they come back and they bring back rain. You know, this is something God did, well, scientists now understand how that works. And as a matter of fact, they even understand how to manipulate it to make it work even more so. You know, therefore, our monsoon season that we're going to be experiencing here pretty soon. We have, and and all the rains that have happened in the past. So science is good to try to understand how God works. Science has taught us how the body works, but God has already put it together. Scientists can't do that. Reminds you of Funny joke my grandmother told me a long time ago. A long time ago, young, I was just a youngster. And she says, you know, those these scientists, these atheists, he says, you know, God, we can do just anything you can do. Better even. We can make a man just better than yours. And, and you know, we can make him without any defects, anything else. And we can, God says, okay, well, meet me here tomorrow on this mountain and why don't we just try to figure this out? They said, okay, so they bought the machines, and they brought their trucks, and they brought the computers, and they brought everything, electrical grids, and they were just all ready to go. And God says, okay, you guys go first. And goes, they go, okay. So they started shoveling some dirt, and he goes, oh, no, 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 that's my dirt. That's my dirt. You can't use my dirt. <laughs> Stop them in their tracks. I thought that was a funny joke. But anyways, um, <clears throat> not that I'm a comedian. As I can tell, I'm not. Don't laugh at me. You're supposed to laugh with me. <laughs> <laughs> and and science has its place but to put all your eggs in the ba- the the basket of science see science has been changing and rightly so because we learn things as we go along but it doesn't give you the definite answer you cannot say it is a fact when in actuality it's not from the very beginning people used to think the world was flat some people still think it's flat today. I don't know how, but the, the world was flat. You couldn't sail out too much further because you would fall off the edge, and that's how the horizon looks like an edge. And all of a sudden, the boats take off. Oh no, he's not coming back. And they came back. How'd you do that? Well, we went straight up, and then we came. No. And then they said, you know, well, you know, the, the world is not flat. It's round. And, but the world is the center of the universe. We had this heliocentric universe, uh, excuse me, geocentric universe, and, and the, the earth, everything revolved around the earth, and we come to find, oh, no, 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 it, we have a heliocentric universe. We revolve around the sun. And then we come to find out, wait a minute, we don't just revolve around, the, and see, it keeps changing. There's a lot of suns that are spinning together, and, and you know, it's not just one universe, it's billions, of and you know, we, we keep learning, and that's just our stars. And so science has its place, and it's explained to us how a lot of things that God created work. But you cannot put all your faith in science. we got to put our faith in God and His truth. For our appeal does not spring from error, impurity, or any attempt attempt to deceive. Paul wasn't trying to deceive. We will find out that Paul, what he did is he took care of himself. He worked. He never asked them for anything. They gave him, but he worked for his own. And as he told Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.20, Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. Paul's telling Timothy there's a lot of people that think they have knowledge. They understand or they think they figured it out. No, they don't. They have not. 2 Timothy 2.15, he tells them, Do your best to present yourself to God. Please, God, as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Beloved, we are now in a portion, a portion in our church life where we are rightly and trying to develop and be able to uh, understand God's word, not to be ashamed of his truth. And not to be, un- and because when you know God's truth, it gives you confidence. And when you, when this conviction of God's truth, it builds your confidence of, well, that's not what the Bible says, as somebody once told me. <laughs> that's not what the Bible says. You know, the Bible says this. Well, I mean, that's just what I think. Well, I don't care what you think. I mean, I'm glad you, I'm glad you think, I'm glad you're thinking. But you got to understand that uh, that's not what the Bible says. You cannot go according to what you feel or what you think anytime someone starts off by saying well i think or i believe or i you know i once experienced no no it's what does the bible say number four produce when when you are uh when you are pleasing god it produces a courageous evangelism proclamation of the word proclamation of the gospel verse four but just as we have been approved by god To be entrusted with the gospel. So we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. You know, there is a culture of church now that doesn't want to offend. The believers or the non-believers that come we want the non-believers to come and we don't want to offend them we want to give them the truth but we don't want to tell them about sin we don't want to let them know they're in sin we don't want them to know about heaven and hell you know everybody goes to heaven and there is this watered-down version of the gospel message now if you were here last Sunday you understand that the gospel message has never been watered down it's always been gory death It's been murder, it's been blood, and it's been all done to Jesus Christ. And he did that just for you. And the bad news is that each one of us are sinners, and that should be done to us. The good news is that Jesus Christ appeased God. He is the propitiation that appeased for my sin alone and for your sin alone. Not of the whole world's sin. Because if God's wrath upon Jesus Christ appeased His wrath and the blood of of Jesus Christ appeased the wrath of God and if it was for the whole world, Jesus' blood is powerful enough to save the entire world. But the Bible doesn't teach that. I mean, He does say, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. What if I told you that the word whosoever is not in there? It's not in there like the way you think it is. For those who believe in Jesus Christ, it identifies those who, not whosoever, everybody. is the way some people interpret that. Everybody gets to go to heaven. Well, we know that's not true. We know people like Saddam Hussein, Osama bin Laden, some of these murderers that you know that deserve uh, three or four or five different types of... There's no justice in that. Everybody gets to go to heaven? Well, not those people. Who gets to decide? Well, it's already been decided. God set a standard. Perfection. And if you're not perfect, you can't make it in. That's why we need a Savior. That's the good news. And this good news, beloved, is a good news that you need to share with your family. As... Unpopular as it might be, and as threatening as it might be, and you might you're going to you're going to uh, you're going to talk to people that are going to be um, hurt by your message because it's not your message; it's God's message. They're going to be offended. They're going to be offended if they're non-believers, and you have to be willing to offend your loved ones you can't just say oh it's okay don't worry you'll get it you'll get it oh don't worry about it just come to church you'll get it no you can come to church all you want you can bring them here you know and prayerfully and hopefully they'll listen to the gospel message and it'll wake them up like it's done to me and many other people you know i've gone to church before i kind of grew up in church i i've tried to visit church and you know i just didn't like church and One day, by the grace of God, he showed me his grace. It was so resistible that I couldn't resist it. I humbled myself, both my wife and I, and there we fell on our knees, and we said yes. Yes. If he's willing to forgive me, man, I'm sure he's willing to forgive a lot of other people. I need to go tell people. I need to go tell my family. I need to go tell people. Well, sometimes it doesn't work out the way you think it does. You see, God has entrusted us with the gospel. He's entrusted you. He has confidence in you. He knows that you have concern. He wants to give you this confidence, this conviction of his word. And he has entrusted you and he's given you this courage, this boldness. And he says, look, I'm going to entrust. Do you understand what that means? He's entrusting you. He's entrusted me. He's trusted me to share the gospel. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. See, Paul is saying, you know what? Uh, When I came to you, I shared with you the gospel of God. I did. And you know what? God knows. He he tests my heart all the time and he convicts me and he shares with me things I did and things I shouldn't have done and things I should do and uh, things I better not do again. And so, you know, in those I got to learn. I got to keep learning. I got to I've done a lot of stuff. I'm not writing everything down to you. What I have all the stupid things I did. You've seen them. But I'm telling you what I've learned. And here it is. Because God entrusted me is what Paul is saying. God has entrusted us. He says it once again. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. So we speak not to please man. We cannot be people pleasers. We cannot we cannot be people pleasers. In Acts chapter nine, it says, but the Lord said to go to him, go Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And he says, you know what? You have to go. You're a chosen instrument. If you're a chosen instrument, if you're a chosen vessel, then you must go. Acts 26, 16, But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and, and, and to those in which I will appear to you. And so Paul is, is saying, you know, I, he's given me this bold confidence. He's given me this bold ability to do so. And he's not out trying to please people. What he's doing is he's trying to please God. Number five, pleasing God produces constant accountability to God. Let me let me kind of flesh that out for you. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is my witness. See, flattery—people do flattery all the time. Oh, you're such a great person. Oh, you're such. Most most of the flattery comes from people that are trying to manipulate you. If they're constantly flattering you with oh, with grace and this and that, oh man, you're such a great person. You know, I mean, of course, I get flattered. I, you know, I get a big. Oh yeah, that's true. (laughs) Yeah, aren't I? Aren't I? Uh, you know, and, and that's. But a lot of times, flattering lips, the Bible says, uh, g- comes from a, a, a messed up heart. That's not, I didn't say messed up. That's the the cell cell translation. Uh, fl- flattering lips. <laughs> I'm sorry, I forgot how that one goes. But flat. Basically, is that you know, it comes from a heart that is deceitful, and and is it, deceitful because you want to fl- You want to get it. And Paul says, we didn't do that to you guys. No, you guys, as a matter of fact, you guys saw us. You guys lived with it. We lived with you guys for, though we were there for a little while, you understand the things that we went through. And, and, and poor Jason, they drug him out of the house and they beat him up and, and they let us escape and you guys stayed behind. And, and then and they start, start telling me that, you know, or still telling you guys about us, that we left. We started all this chaos and you guys got in trouble, but you guys understood the gospel message. Remember when we first started in chapter 1? Paul says, I wasn't even there that long with you guys, but yet I've heard of the gospel message being proclaimed throughout the whole world. Everybody is knowing what you guys are doing. You guys have been transformed. You've been converted. You've been reborn. And now you are multiplying. Praise God for that. And so we, we have this accountability to God. And we, we understand that God is our witness. He knows your heart. He knows why it is you say certain things. He knows why it is you do certain things. And as you know, he says, nor with a pretext for greed. It's not for the money. It's not for anything I, I'm doing. I'm not doing this for that. I'm doing it for the fact that, you know, <laughs> this is what I better do. Because God has given me that ability. In 2 Corinthians 1.12, it says, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so toward you. You know how we acted toward you. You know how we loved you. We were concerned for you. We love you. And, you know, one of the portions that we're not going to get into today is he says, you know, we, we were like we were like a mom to you. I mean, we, we cared for you like a mother does. We nurtured you. We, we tried to help you as much as possible because our intention wasn't for us. I mean, if you guys... Remember, I left here empty handed. I ran out of here. And everywhere I went, I got beat up and I got thrown in jail. And I, you know, and I'm not making any money off of this. I'm not making anything out of you guys because I'm going according to what God has called me to do. I'm not pleasing man. I'm pleasing God. And the last point I want to make is point six produces commitment to the glory of God. Verse six, nor did we see glory from people. Whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. He says, we didn't try to get, you know, make you guys, have you guys tell us, oh, you guys are great apostles. You know, oh, great, you know, good, put us on this pedestal. He goes on to say, no, we didn't. He says, nor did we seek glory from people. We didn't seek glory from anyone, anyone around us. This is not the things that we did verse seven in your Bibles, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother, taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Paul says you became dear to us. You are the reason that we do this, not for any, anything else. We do this only because we love you, and, and we, we are concerned about you, and we want you to know the truth. And when you share the gospel with somebody, you don't do it with the intention of... Anytime you share the gospel with somebody, you're not doing it with the intention of trying to get fame or glory or riches. That's probably the furthest thing from your mind, or it should be. But your concern should always be for your loved ones, spiritual well-being i'm glad you're doing well in school i'm glad you're doing you have promotions at work i'm glad you're doing well in your circle of influence you've got a family you've got a home i'm glad you're doing great but you know what mijo unless you yourself have committed your life to christ and serve him serve him fully and please him what what does it profit a man what does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet loses his soul And so it's a, it's a template. When we started this series in 1 Thessalonians, I said, this is a model church. And Paul is pointing out things that he says, you know, these, these are some of the things that you guys are doing. And I'm really excited about what you guys are doing. And now here's how it is that you need to continue going forward. And some of the things that I've heard, you know, because with Paul, when you start to please God, you find out. That it produces concern for others. It produces confidence in God's power. It produces conviction to God's word and God's truth. It produces courageous evangelism. It produces constant accountability to God. It produces commitment to the glory of God. It produces commitment to the glory of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Paul says, not to me, to Him. And in Romans eleven thirty six, 36, he says, For from Him, God, and through Him, and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. To God be the glory. Not to Pastor Sal, not to Paul, not to anyone else, but to God be the glory. God has given me the ability to share this with you. And I don't take the credit for it. I give it all to God. I I read these things throughout the week in various commentaries and people. And and I read the scriptures in various translations. And, you know, God has given me the (coughs) ability to do so. (coughs) Excuse me. And it's not because I want to be popular, as you can see. (laughs) Not much. I do this because this is what God's called me to do. And I do this because it's a commitment to the glory of God. And I, my response should always be, well, praise God. Good message, praise God. Awesome testimony, praise God. You know, because it's to him the glory, not me. And, and that's the way we should all be. Let me ask you to stand. We'll need to probably visit, revisit Second Corinthians chapter 12 in Paul's thorn of the flesh. You know, because I sense that sometimes we don't even realize why it is that we're struggling in life. Why it is that we have these thorns in our flesh. Why it is that we have this whatever going on in your life. Something physical, something mental, something emotional going in your life. And we don't even realize why those things happen. And we're thinking, you know, God must be mad at me. God must hate me. God doesn't listen to me. He doesn't answer my prayers. I've asked them, and I've asked them, and i asked them, and he doesn't listen. Well, you know, that was Paul's response. He says, I asked three times. I figured, hey, three strikes, you're out. God said my grace is sufficient. That's good enough for me. I'm telling you, you know what? God's grace is sufficient. And we need to give glory to God. We need to give glory to God for for that deficiency, because in our weakness. Father in heaven, you're strong. And we need to be about your business. The time that we have left here on this planet is short. 60, 80, even if it was 100 years, it's still short. And so we need to ask God, what can we do next? What is my next assignment? What am I going to do next? And be always ready to be able to share the gospel with boldness. So thank you, Father, for this scripture that you've given us to give us the ability to learn a little bit more and to move forward in, uh, in the, this book to the people in, in Thessalonica. And I thank you for Paul's wisdom, how you used him, in spite of all his weaknesses, in spite of all the frailties that he had. You used him right to the end, even in prison as he wrote, letters so lord help us to be the same way we may not be able to cross the the atlantic or the pacific to other nations and we may not be able to fly to various places or not even in this state but lord we have an obligation to those that are closest to us because you've entrusted us with that gospel message so lord we know that you know our hearts you trust our hearts And sometimes we lie to ourselves, but we can never lie to you. And help us to be accountable to you and bring all the glory to you, I pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, amen Amen and amen. I'll be here for a moment if you'd like to come up for a word of prayer.